Please. Please, sire. I beg of you to spare his life. Please have mercy. My dear emotional lady, why should I? Because I love him, your highness. Love him? And does this prisoner return your love? Marion, my darling, I love you more than life itself. Call for help. Here, uh, uh, you're gonna need some volunteers. But, but Bi Bianca, we just... Oh, Bernard, adventure, thrills, intrigue, travel, exotic places. Oh, come on, darling, let's go. Brave little one, make a wish for each sad little tear. Hold your head up. No one is near. Someone's waiting for you. The grimmer plot has been simmering in my great criminal brain. Even meaner, you mean it. Worse than the widows and orphans you drowned. You're the best of the worst around. Orion, Orion. To another episode of Three Guys and the Mouse. Josh here with my co-host George. What's up, guys? Hunter. Hey. And our returning mouse, Courtney. Hi. So today we're going to talk about some quick news, and then our for our main feature, we're going to be discussing a little bit of backstory on Beauty and the Beast. So without uh, further ado, here we go. So to start things off, we of course start with the news. For Disneyland, there's not really much going on. They announced uh, some packages, like VIP packages for the upcoming um, Food and Wine, which is going to be starting in March and ending in April. Uh, those are great if you've got like a couple hundred dollars to pay to see, uh, you know, famous uh, Food Network stars, but uh, we're not too into that. And then, of course, they also showed like a hype video, which uh, I did like seeing it, but at the same time, it's that thing where it's like, well, I mean, we already know all that stuff. Because of course the their biggest thing in it is uh, the return of the Columbia uh, sailing ship Columbia, the Mark Twain, the railroad, and Fantasmic. But you know th those uh, of course are like those are things that it's like well we want to see it, but at the same time we want to see Star Wars Land. <laughs> so uh, we're we're just gonna brush quickly into uh, Walt Disney World, uh, which spoiler alert not great news for some people but uh they finally announced that disney quest is actually closing which is uh it's going to be closing july 3rd uh, i'm gonna read you guys the parks blog like official word on it so part of our multi-year transformation of disney springs is continuing and as you know we're bringing new experiences to the west side neighborhood including the nba experience at walt disney War world resort today we wanted to share an update to make uh, way for this basketball-themed experience. The West Side area will be undergoing changes beginning with the closure of Disney Quest on July 3rd, 2017. Until July 3rd, Disney Quest will continue to offer a great interactive experience for all guests, Disney fans of classic arcade games, favorites, and... I, I totally messed up reading that. Um, and virtual worlds featured at the indoor theme park are invited to come out and enjoy the experiences. Now, um, the thing I wanted to mention on here is, so it's been long rumored that Disney Quest would close. Of course, cause like Disney Quest, when they originally did um, Downtown Disney at Disney World, this is actually the only Disney Quest that really uh, got going. Uh, what, they opened one in Chicago, but that one closed pretty quickly. So this is the only one that's been there for a while. And I know for like some people like, uh, George's sister Jessica, like she remembers like NSYNC going to Disney Quest, but it's like re ultimately they could never really get people in there. And, and it's because like where it offered like a cool idea of being like a, you know, indoor theme park and arcade and something that you could always be like adjusting. The thing is, is that they never truly uh, got it going because 
they never got the part of like always like being new like I, I, and you know we know because we we've never gone there but it's that thing like when they show ads and stuff for it it's always the same stuff it's the pirates game which you know whatever it's the uh roller coaster uh thing it's like uh was it indoor um space mountain or virtual space mountain so i mean like i know some people enjoy it but it's that thing it's like it never really appealed and then at that like i can say as like a parent and as a disney world goer that um i never felt like i would pay 50 plus dollars to go there well i mean me and courtney went there and yeah. like oh nine or something like that yeah, we were like out before dad and it, it was it was eh that, that's like the best way of describing it. They have a couple of fun things, but it's certainly not something that you want to. I know the two I mentioned. On. I know are specifically the things that people were like. They were really cool mm-hmm. when they opened. Yeah. Oh, there's a there was a giant line for like the the, F, pirates. The, the, the pirates thing. The virtual roller coasters all were so backed up that we couldn't do it. All we really got to do was the jungle cruise. Was the jungle cruise thing, and that thing was awful because you yeah, know, it hurt it your tires you out. Yeah, because you had to paddle the whole time, or your boat would stop. And that's the thing is it's like great idea, but they never really got it going. It's Mm kind of like think of like Star Wars the uh, Star Wars Star Tours the adventures continues So like one criticism people had is that they were like, oh, you know How how much are they really gonna be adjusting this but we and you know We've talked about this before so we really don't have to get into it, but we've seen them do it you know uh, be it with this Force Awakens uh, add-on with Finn and BB-8, or even the little changes like we talked about with Naboo, with the ending of the Naboo scene, how they changed that where instead he's throwing paint on there, which I will say, not as impressive. But still, I like seeing that they do adjust. Or like another one, another good example is Toy Story Midway Mania. So when that was announced, one of the big things about it is that because it was all virtual, they could change it. And they've only ever done it once. But, you know, when they did change it, everyone was excited. They were like, this is cool. But now you get the Disney nostalgists who are like, they took Bo Peep out, though. So Bo Peep is just gone now. And it's like, look, bleeding hearts, calm, calm down. <laughs> Coming back. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I do agree. Like, they should be adjusting it more. But, you know, I do understand, too, that it's like, well, you can't. Actually, uh, it just occurred to me a great example is World of Color. World of Color is one that changes, like, a lot like uh be it with their like uh their opening scenes or ending scenes where they had like the brave thing or i know i saw it the tron one was spectacular or like they they had the force awakens thing like the they did a they do a good job of doing stuff like that or how they uh changed the um holiday one almost every year mm-hmm. like they did a good job with that like that's a great example of how you you can take something that you can adjust and actually adjust it I just think Disney Quest ultimately failed because they just were unwilling to put the money into it. Maybe they were listening to the nostalgists too much. It does remind me too of, uh, was it um, Six Flags announcing that they're going to do the uh, indoor virtual reality park or whatever? And it's just like, Disney Quest is a perfect example that that's not going to (laughs) work. Moving on into the studio though. Uh, the final Beauty and the Beast trailer came out. I know, I believe it's supposed to be the Super Bowl ad, but of course, this being the age that it is, they already released it. Uh, how did you guys feel about the about hearing Ariana Grande finally? I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of her, but I was glad that it wasn't what I was going to expect from her. It was actually pretty good, but still, I don't like I know. her, so... Like anyone that knows me on Facebook knows, or, and anyone that listens knows, I, I haven't been like the biggest supporter of the movie, um, even though that is our main subject tonight. But uh, I will say this final ad, I was like, I'm on board now. I'm like, you, you've you got me. You've got me on board. Like, the singing sounds good. Um, Ariana Grande and John Legend together sound actually really good. Like, I was talking about that earlier um, off mic. The thing is, is like, I was expecting her to be in there auto-tuned and just awful. Just <laughs> normal on her. Yeah, like, but that was the thing is that I feel like Disney and probably just the fact that John Legend was a part of it too, they reined her in and just were like, that is not going to happen. You are, this is not a pop version of it. This is for the movie. So they, I feel like they did a great job. I really did like the trailer. Like everything in it was awesome. I I I was like, yes, (laughs) 
Gaston talking to himself in the mirror, spectacular. And and, and uh, what's that his name, funny. Luke Evans? Uh, he was one of the people that I was just like, but you're not big and burly. Like, I don't see you as Gaston. And then just him in that scene, when they showed it, <laughs> yeah, I was right. like, yep. all right. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you're good for this, man. All right. I, I think they showed a part when they're about to sing uh, Gaston. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're like stomping. Yeah, they're just like dancing. I was like, yes, I'm excited for that yeah, part. Yeah, you got to see Josh Gad as uh, LeFou. Yeah. I really like how they showed a part of Be Our Guest. I'm like, yes, this is what I wanted. Well, they even show a little bit of uh, something there because uh, they yep. show her in the red uh, dress outside with him. Like, and, and then at that too, the um, what the wolves and stuff, and like, yeah. Also, like the intro with uh, with Maurice. Like, I was just like, everything on this is just on point. Like, um, I know, like I've complained before about Cinderella, like how I I didn't watch it. You know, full honesty, no did way. not watch it. Actually, I, I saw it. it. Yeah, like I do know that. <laughs> I keep forgetting uh, I watched it. I do know with like that one and Jungle Book, they followed it very closely. But it was that thing where, to me, I'm like, yeah, but I don't need to see this version. Like, I don't, I don't need this it's to like, keep living. It's like I wasn't enjoying watching it. <laughs> like Cinderella, it was just there. Like I was like, whatever. I, I should have played the remote. <laughs> like I've seen this before as a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do. I honestly feel like the Beauty and the Beast one, like, they showed you that they're taking everything and just making it a little more interesting. A little, oh. you know, just kind of like, I don't want to say better, because of course Beauty and the Beast is a great movie, mm-hmm. but it's like, they definitely took it and they were just like, they expanded it's... on it. Oh, you know, I was just going to add on, like, from that trailer, I think one of my favorite things, other than the Gaston scene, because, you know, I love Gaston, I actually enjoy the little snip they give you of him in the library with uh, Belle. You know, where she's like, have you read all these? He's like, well, some of them are written in Greek. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's what I mean, though. It's like, they took some things and they, they like, expanded it in a way where I was just like, I didn't see it going, but I'm like, I like this. You know, with that movie, I really hope they did their homework, because, like, like you said, Beauty and the Beast is a really good movie. You know, they made it Broadway and stuff like that, and now they're making it... That's a highly revered movie, yeah, too. Yeah. Like, so, like, they're taking a huge risk right now. They're, like... I agree. Like, you know? that is definitely a movie where, um, realistically, like, thinking back at it, it's, like, as much as it was easy for people to be, like, well, that's easy money-making. It's, like, it's not, though. Like, ultimately, it's a movie that's revered so much that it's like you really have to you're you're on um thin ice with it where you're just like you could just perfectly ruin it like for instance like something awful like maleficent um but you know what i mean like they just they they did a good it looks like they did a spectacular job or like a great example uh, i'm just keep <laughs> high-fiving myself on this um but I think like a good uh, a good like similar kind of thing is like Star Wars: The Force Awakens. How much did we talk about how like they're on thin ice? That like it was that thing where it's like you know especially bringing in J.J. Abrams, it was like everyone was just like doubting it so mm-hmm. much, kind of like the Patriots in the Super Bowl right now. <laughs> like everyone <laughs> was course. doubting so much, and then it comes out and you're just like, this, yes, I love this. I I can't help but to agree with you because. I think even with Star Wars, there's a couple of times where we mentioned that we're like, it's a high, it's a super high risk, super high reward thing. And I'm hoping that with these trailers, it's just doing what Star Wars did, we're like, it's gonna knock it out. Listen, once Han Solo came on the second trailer, I was already sold. Yeah. It was I mean, at the end. <laughs> in, all, in all honesty, like anyone that um, listens to this, they know that we were on board from the get-go. Like, we were just completely in for Star Wars, because we're Star Wars fans. But it was that thing, like... And, and, you know, I, I think I mentioned it last week, uh, where it's, like, the whole thing, like, I've gotten so much, like, grief about it, where they're like, you're just a Star Wars fan because everyone likes Force Awakens. No. You're, no. you're so blind to what's wrong with it. It's like, no, what it is is you're trying so hard to hate a movie everyone enjoyed. That's the problem. Like, Star Wars The Force Awakens was a movie that so easily could have been awful and just done poorly. They could have ruined it. Yeah, yeah they could have ruined that. Boom, like, right there. Like a great example of a movie that did that. Batman v Superman. Yeah. Everyone was on board with that movie. Everyone went and saw it the first weekend it came out. And then the next weekend it had the largest, the largest drop in viewership 
they've ever had for a movie. Because it was something, it was like almost 80% down in revenue. I don't think they made a movie that is Batman versus Superman ever, right? No, but that it's that thing. It's like, so it's, it's like history, right? I well, guess. yeah, it was that thing. Like, you brought in something that people were already on board with, and then what you gave them was a pile of stinking garbage, and they were unwilling to accept it. <laughs> Even as much as people want to defend that movie and still defend it to me, the thing is, is that ultimately, you lose. Because the thing is, is that the people showed you that they did not want it. And then, like we discussed last week, Warner Brothers itself has admit If they don't want to say it out loud, they've admitted to themselves that it was awful. We heard you. Well, I, we heard you. <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I want to say, too, like, I know we've said that before, too. But, you know, uh, like The Rock said, they are purposely in Justice League. It's going to be a complete change of tone. Because they see that no one likes what was going on. They themselves apparently didn't like it. But Zack Snyder was like pushing it so hard that they were like, okay, I mean, we'll see. Yes. That, I mean, like, I'm, I'm glad they finally like, as much as I hate like a studio coming in and trying to control things, I'm glad that they went in there and they were like, no, you're done. not anymore. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I'm not excited, like, I understand Beast is supposed to be, you know, scary, ugly. It's just like, I, I just don't see it. Like... Every time I look at the trailer, it just beats, beats, uh, beats. Oh, you know what? I want to mention too. That was a that was the thing I noticed. Um, is that the uh, the actor who's the beast? His voice perfectly is what I wanted it to sound like. Yeah. Like it, it's so close to like the actual the like movie, Robbie right? Benson yeah. uh, beast from the cartoon or the animated film. I was like, man, they they did a good job with this. The voice, yeah. I, I just I don't know. I'm not a fan of the the face. Oh, the CGI. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the CGI in general. Well, I mean, with, with the whole Beast thing, my thing is it's funny because I think from uh, from the shots that they were showing him, he does look terrifying in a sense, but uh, I think it's funny that they also show him as, well, once you get to know him and as you see as Bell does it, he looks like he's actually an approachable creature because he seems kind-hearted and you can see it like in his eyes too. I mean, uh, I know like... Yeah, look at his beautiful blue yeah. eyes. If you watch <laughs> something like uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty and stuff, they talk about, there was a huge thing about how to make him look. Cause it was like all these things where they wanted him to look like these certain creatures and he had to look scary, but they were like, he also had to have like that redeeming quality. And that was like ultimately so hard to find. Huh? No. no. Uh, no, I was gonna say, like, when they were doing all the casting for Beauty and the Beast, I remember being super, like, worried because I'd never heard Emma Watson sing. Right when I heard her sing, I was like, okay, we're good. She, I was like, she oh. took singing lessons. Yeah, she did. I was Better. Like, <laughs> I was like, being my favorite movie of all time is Beauty and the Beast, I was like, super nervous, and no one was understanding that. They're like, you just don't want to like it. I was like, no, I want her to be good. And it's yeah. terrifying me because I don't want her to be bad. That's like, I mean, I've said it so many times, but, uh, like, I'm a huge. DC Comics fan and like for me like the most upsetting thing was to see Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman just be bad because <laughs> it's like Marvel like and mind you like I I tried reading Marvel comics and they just don't catch me except for Ed <laughs> for, except for Ed Brubaker's take on Captain America they just to me they're just so whatever <gasps> but then you like Jeff Johns like the job he does on um, Flash or Flashpoint I know I've said like Anyone that knows me knows that Flashpoint is like my favorite crossover storyline of all time. Like, way better than Civil War. I'm just gonna say right here. Civil War is probably one of the worst written comic events I've ever no, had the not. displeasure to read. Oh Blasphemy. my god. Wow. No, it's it is. not. And so, and, you know what? And I actually finished the reading it like a couple of days ago. You, you don't are wrong. you don't know you don't know <laughs> Captain America. That's the issue is that that's what ruins Civil War is Captain America is so unlikable and the whole time you can't help but be reading it and just thinking like Iron Man uh, is just trying to do what's right and it's like no he's not. He is straight up the bad guy of the story like he and, is a bad guy. And mind you, <laughs> I know some people are probably listening and they're like okay, if you read the the comic book he is the bad guy. He creates the Dark Avengers, and that by itself is like completely evil. Just like, <laughs> he does everything he can to do evil stuff, but the thing is is that 
um, who is it, Mark Miller or Matt Fraction, I forget which one of them it is that uh, wrote Civil War, he's the Iron Man writer, so he's like making him likable, Captain America is this like jerk the whole time, Giant Man dies and he's like, whatever, let's keep moving, I'm like, oh, that's not the Captain America we all know. <laughs> But, you know, apparently, yeah, that, that's just the thing. Like, uh, I know Ed Brubaker wasn't too big on, like, adding into that. So it's, that was a big issue is that he didn't really want to be a part of it. And Captain America was the leader of the opposition. Like, even the beginning of it is so, like, poorly written. Just uh, him, yeah, like, right. just yeah. Maria Hill, like, go arrest them. And he's like, they're doing the right thing. Are you with me or against me? You're just like, whoa, this, this just started really quick. That escalated quickly. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I could get way into it. Like, if you read um, the prelude to Civil War, you get when um, Iron Man releases uh, Hulk into space, and he's just like, "Yeah, we can't deal with you here. Bye." Like that's yeah, that's one of the that's one of the roads to Civil War. And then you get the thing too where he has um, who is it? Uh, he has a vil- he hires he hires a, a villain. To come and try to kill him so that he can fight against him to uh, push people into the registration. I'm like, so awful. Like, you're just a monster, you dude. Like, grab the man to be a bad guy. Yeah, that, that was like that was like one of the worst parts because like afterwards he's uh, I forget his name. It's like the he's like a red Iron Man. He he just has an Iron Man suit and he's just like, oh, did it work? And Iron Man's like, yeah, it looks like it it worked. And you're just like, what the? He's working with bad guys? Like this is so bad. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, mind you, I'm getting into a tangent, but yeah. Civil War is just so poorly written. But yeah, like, um... Beauty and the Beast! Yeah, well, no, back to the main uh, point. Like, Batman v Superman took something that I revere and I love, and they just were like, nah, it's not gonna be good. And that's what I'm liking Dis- about Yeah, movies. Disney took, for instance, Star Wars, and now with the Beauty and the Beast, and they just did such a good job. You're like, man, like... <laughs> I like this. I like what they're doing. They're giving you stuff you didn't know you wanted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like with the commercial, like, even if it's bad, I'm going to see it more than once. Yeah, look at Rogue One. Next. <laughs> Rogue One completely rewrote the origin story of uh, A New Hope by taking out um, awesome. how they really got the uh, plans. But that's the thing. It's like they did such a good job, you're willing to forgive it. You're just like, eh, whatever. Right. <laughs> it also fixed a lot of major potholes. So yeah. that's also what Well, they also you... caused their own potholes. Oh, yeah, but... We're not gonna get into Actually, that. Actually, I did see an interesting uh, meme where someone pointed out it's a scene in uh, Star Wars: A New Hope where they're all sitting around at the Death Star and uh, you know Tarkin sitting there, and it's of course the famous scene when Darth Vader uh, force chokes uh, the other dude. But there's a chair that's empty, and someone pointed out they're like, "I bet that was supposed to be Director Krennic's chair." <laughs> and I'm just like, "So good, so good." I made this. <laughs> That's just, that's just a random thing for you. Um, this is not really Disney news, but it's Disney related. So James Cameron announced that uh, Avatar 2 is officially going to start motion capture in August. Now, um, I only mention it, of course, because of Avatar Land, which opens this summer. But uh, one of the things that I found interesting is in his quote, he said specifically, he doesn't think of it as Avatar 2. He thinks of it as Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5 because the last two years he spent um, writing those sequels. So they were all written together, which I will say as like a sequel-based thing, I prefer the idea that he wrote them all together. But at the same time, as a fan, or as not a real fan of Avatar, I'm a little bit like, eh, do we care though? The, uh, I think this is a little more major than we might be putting it on to be because... You know, with Avatar Land coming out, that's probably good news for them because they're like, good, we can, you know, add a little more stuff in here for this new movie to try to hype it a little bit more. I'm going to go ahead and say... So, the plus side is that you get Avatar opens this year, and you've got more Avatar movies coming, which is going to push people into the park. For instance, and we've discussed before, Tomorrowland is basically Star Wars Land while Star Wars land is being built, and with every new Star Wars movie, it pushes more and more people into that land just because it's Star Wars. Even with nothing really changing, people are still going in there like, but Star Wars, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So Avatar's <laughs> gonna be the same. 
Now, with what you said, I don't know about that because from what I've heard, like the rumors are that basically once Disney officially purchased Lucasfilm, they immediately regretted the Avatar deal. Because oh Avatar, the deal you know that they have, I think it's like for 10 years. But it's like once, once they had um, Star Wars, it was like, well, we don't need this garbage like <laughs> well much. And, and down you, the mountains well mind you uh, and i don't mean that in a sense that avatar sucks or that the land is crappy or anything like that i mean it in the sense that you're you're get, you're getting into a, an area like universal where you've got a an ip that's not your own that you have to constantly know that you're restructuring the deal and trying to get them signed on for because you've got like jk rowling they have to offer her more and more money and more and more control every time they do a deal with her for Harry Potter or even for, for Universal's, uh, well, Universal's um, Marvel Land, uh, you know, the superhero island. Their issue there is that to retain their rights, they have to um, update the rights every so many years. But at that, they also can't build anything new. So they're in like a huge like loss because it's like Marvel is on top when it comes when it comes to comic book movies. They're making billions of dollars every year. Mm-hmm. And Universal has this land that people are coming to because of those movies and they can't readjust anything. They can't be like, "Oh, we're going to build an Iron Man ride" because they don't have that right. All they can do is keep the rides they have and then do like, you know, the mean things that they do to Disney like for instance with the Spider-Man they redid the CGI and all that for that because uh, they had to put money into it. I will say though, um, I know like we know some people that work for Universal. Uh, apparently, they are trying to figure out a thing to get around having it because it's that thing. Like I said, they ultimately they don't want to be paying Disney for it. They do love that it makes Disney mad that they have it, but ultimately it's a loss for them because. Yeah. You know, that's land that they could be using and, you know, for a property that they don't actually own. So, well, I know, like, I just wanted to say, like, I I know I've said it, like, a long time ago, but I know, like, one of the biggest ones is that they're actually looking at possibly doing um, Fast and Furious as the skin over everything, which I was like, I I could see that. I mean, I don't, I don't think of it as a viable franchise like that, but I was like, I, I could see that working, though. Well, what you were saying earlier, I, I feel like it's not even a lose-lose. It's like a lose-lose-lose because they can't build anything. Disney gets part of the uh, attendance money. And they'll all the while... And, all the mer- and they get the merchandising yeah. money. They get everything out of there. So it's like, the people that are even going in to see that, it's like, they're not really coming to see us. And they're coming to see Marvel's. Well, mind thing. you, Disney also sells Marvel stuff at all of their parks in Disney World. So it's like, it's still a lose because they're making money on Marvel products with nothing actually Marvel out there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, man, like, they're really just cashing in. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I would say, though, like, I, I just thought of it. I was like, if they redid the Spider-Man ride as Fast and Furious, even if they um, did a crappy job and did, like, for instance, that stupid... Um, Transformers? No, what is it? Um, Transformers is literally Spider-Man. Yeah, but, um, no, what is it? Uh, Supercharged or whatever they called it. Um, oh. At, um, the one that's at Universal Hollywood on the tour. Mm. If they took that and put it in there, that would actually work. Cause like the, well you, well they'd still have to refill it, but you would get a better way because like you're sitting in like a car like vehicle and that moves and stuff with it. it they could do a good job with that. Mm. But then again, Universal Orlando, I guess they ultimately must have given up on that because they're building the uh, the Fast and Furious right out there anyway. <laughs> But, you know, that that is their own thing. And they're also putting up that Nintendo thing. I do like the Nintendo idea. I, I wonder where that's going to exactly. go, though. That could go there, too. Oh, it could. Or it could go in Seuss Landing, because that's garbage. I like Seuss just, Landing. They should pull those out Or it could go into, uh, what is that, the Lost Continent? The Lost Continent, or uh, that cartoon area that's pretty much how bad, you know, Toontown really could be. <laughs> it's 90% shot. It is Toontown. <laughs> Um, so moving into, uh, where we really love. So Star Wars. The Han Solo movie has officially started production. Now, uh, there's like a few things I wanted to mention in here. Um, so 
You've got uh, the directors are going to be Phil Lord and Chris Miller from 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie. Uh, I actually didn't know this, which uh, does surprise me. Uh, the screenplay for the Han Solo movie was actually written by Lawrence Kasdan and John Kasdan, which is a father-son team. But Lawrence Kasdan um, is actually the guy who wrote The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and The Bodyguard. I'm just throwing The Bodyguard in there. I know some. I know a, a few people that listen that would love to hear that dropped yeah. in there. But I think that's like very interesting because it's like, oh. Um, I forgot to mention too. He also uh, Lawrence Kasdan also uh, gets credit for the script for The Force Awakens. So, like the, they definitely like once again, you know, back on the same like Beauty and the Beast stuff. Of course, we're not going to get as long winded now, but they did their homework. They were like, we need a top notch team, and they brought in the same guy that they knew they could count on for this yep. script. Of course, uh, when it comes to the cast, right now we've got. Alden Iron what? Aaron Rick? From Hail Caesar. I don't think anyone remembers him from that movie. I, but I uh, he he plays uh, Han Solo. You got Woody Harrelson. <laughs> uh, Donald Glover from Atlanta and Community as Lando Calrissian. And Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones is in a undisclosed role. Yeah. I'm not a big Game like of Throner, but She's um, in me the, before you. Well, to me, like, the, the big thing is, like, they, they know what they're doing. Like, we've said it many times. They know what they're doing. They're doing their homework. They're getting the best cast they can. I mean, like, think of, for instance, Force Awakens. When they announced John Boyega and Daisy Ridley, everyone was critical. Because they're like, no one knows who these kids are. Why are you throwing them in this movie? But now, now people would never question that. Yeah. Of course, uh, I also wanted to mention that um, in the photo that they shared, the uh, <laughs> so the pseudonym that they're uh, <laughs> using for the movie is Red Cup. Uh, obviously, a play on Solo, but uh, I, I do love that. That's <laughs> what they're going with. Red Solo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's gonna do it for us for the news. So next, we'll be moving into our main feature. <laughs> After the success of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in 1937, Walt Disney was looking for stories to develop into feature-length films. One of these stories was Beauty and the Beast. Bonjour! 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 There goes the baker with his tray, like always. The same old bread and rolls to sell. Every morning just the same Since the morning that we came To this poor provincial town Good morning, pal! morning, monsieur! Where are you off to? In 1991, a magnificent new motion picture premiered and enchanted the world. This spectacular model of storytelling combined the art of animation and a magical music score into an unprecedented achievement that won the hearts and minds of audiences along with dozens of awards, including the coveted Oscar. But behind this story is another fascinating story. It originates where storytelling began. Flat be fat and lazy, you walked in and oops a daisy! It's a guess, it's a guess, sakes alive and I'll be blessed. Wine's been poured and thank the Lord, I've had the napkins freshly pressed. With this, she'll want tea, and my dear, that's fine with me. While the cups do this, I'll shoo it, I'll be bubbling, I'll be brewing. I'll get warm, I'll be hot. So for our main feature, we're going to be discussing Beauty and the Beast. I just, I'm like waiting for George to yell. <laughs> Max Pass. No, um, no but uh, we're going to talk about Beauty and the Beast. And we're not uh, specifically talking about the new live action version we're actually going to be discussing the animated classic the in 1991 school. however this story starts way before 1991 because uh we want to start with like the backstory going into it and it all starts with uh, a very traumatic day in disney history which is december 15th 1966 which is the passing of walt disney and with walt disney passing you lose the patriarch of the company the visionary of the company, but the main thing is you lose the key story man of the company. 
And I know, like, a lot of people want to kind of, like, especially nowadays, they try to downplay Walt Disney's importance in Disney history, or, well, not really Disney history, but in Disney, like, films. But anyone knows, like, anyone that's uh, listened to any of the nine old men talk about it, Walt Disney is really the thing that drives the movies. Like, I mean, I'm going through a Walt Disney biography right now, the Neil Gabler one. And the thing is, is that even before uh, he gets into the Disney company and Snow White and stuff, he is the main driver of things. Like, they talk about his partnership with Up Iwerks, and he was the thing that pushed that company. Like, well, of course, that company ends up failing, but Iwerks Disney worked because he was the one selling it. He was the one pushing the stories. Up, ultimately, was just a... He was just an animator. He he was a guy that could animate very well, but he couldn't drive anyone to buy the movies. He couldn't drive a story. He just had the mind to animate and to come up with like new ways to animate because of course he actually is the person that came up with the um uh with the multiplane camera. Um but of course that's like a whole different tangent. But that's the thing is like um a lot of people try to downplay his importance on the films, but that's where I, why I wanted to start here because after his passing, the movies just slowly start to degrade in its quality. The last movie he had his hands on was Jungle Book in 1967. And of course, I'm like getting into a whole new thing with that. But with the Jungle Book, there's actually like a lot of things in that because one of the main things is that the guy who originally was making uh, or writing the movie for them ends up being taken off the project because... Walt Disney did not like the version he was writing and Walt Disney basically comes in and just like redoes everything and uh the guy um I can't think of his name right now I'm looking it up (laughs) just so you know if you hear me typing that's what I'm looking up but uh that's the thing is that Walt Disney did not like the adaptation he was doing because uh the adaptation um that was being written by Bill Pete was actually too close to the uh Ruder kipling version of jungle book but it was missing like the heart and all that and walt disney you know being like a slapstick kind of person he was like this doesn't work and ends up pulling him off of the project but you know that's uh that's me going back into a tangent but that's the thing is that that's the kind of things he brought into the company and also like i can get like we could get into that too but of course that's another subject for another day during the period of disneyland one of the issues is that with walt disney not driving the movie division that's one of the things that pulls the movies uh, during that time too, is that he's not um, on top of them. So, and that's the thing is like, as much as people want to, you know, pat themselves on the back and stuff, he is the guy that drives it. So that's, that's actually crazy to think about. Cause I, I never try to downplay how important he was. I just didn't know he, he was go so far back as to tell, you know, a guy that was writing a story probably for a long time too, and just be like, listen, this is not good. I'm taking over. All right. Sorry. So basically, pack your things and get out of here. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, for instance, like uh, Lady and the Tramp is a great example. Lady and the Tramp is a movie uh, in, like, it's uh, right before Disneyland opens. But that's a movie that um, he actually, like, is basically the reason why that got made. He's the one that came up with the idea of it. Because it was uh, an idea based on his own animals. Because oh, he, of course, had dogs, and uh, he specifically had a, uh, I want to say it was it was a cocker spaniel named Lady. It, uh, it might have been no, I think it was his poodle, but it's something. He had a dog named Lady, and that's like where that genesis from. But that's the thing is like without him there, um, like let me show you for example. You get things like Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, mind you, I love that movie, but Sleeping Beauty is a fantastic artistic movie but as a story it's like well this is just you know a pretty run-the-mill storyline and that's the thing is without him there it wasn't like pulling the story they were so focused on the art of the movie that they missed on like you know the connection to the movie hmm that's that's crazy Hmm. or sword in the stone another great example like that's a movie that happens during uh the walt disney and his like Disneyland period. So like Sword in the Stone is like a completely forgettable movie. Like I, I can tell by your guys' faces when I said the movie, just like, oh yeah, I don't even remember that movie. That's because no, they I mean, don't play it a lot. 
You know, they don't even refer to it a lot. Listen, it came out in Once Upon a Time, all right? (laughs) (laughs) And bringing it back, bro. The only real reminder of it is the sword in the stone at Disneyland. (laughs) Yes. Seriously, yeah. Um, See, and that's the thing is like, uh, so when Walt Disney passes away, the film division just starts slowly falling apart. And, And another part of that is, of course, Walt Disney World is being uh, built at the same time, and that becomes their main focus, is getting that done. Because he passes away in 66, they've already announced Disney World, and the whole thing, uh, like, they very famously say all the time in any documentary you watch. The company itself was just like, what do we do? And Roy O. Disney, who was planning to uh, step down and retire, uh, comes out of his retirement and says, you know, I'll, I'll run the company, and he's like, Walt Disney World is being built. And, and like, very famously, originally it was Disney World, just plain Disney World. And um, Roy O. Disney was the one that specifically said, we are renaming it Walt Disney World because I want people to always remember the person who envisioned this world, that it's his world. So Walt Disney World becomes their main focus. And then, you know, they push forward with that. But because of that, you, you just have a whole thing where it's just they slowly are just like, guiding down. So it's almost as if like Royo takes over, says, hey, we're getting Walt Disney World done, but then the animation division, they're just like, they slowly degress back to how it was when when uh, Walt was focusing all this time on Disneyland. Yes. They're like, we can get away with some of the smaller stuff that yeah. normally we wouldn't and, get away with. And that's, a, that's another thing to point out, is that in that period you get things like the Aristocats, Robin Hood, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, now, I know Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh comes out in 77, but the reason why I also bring that up is because it's not really a movie as much as it's a package film. Because Walt, uh, or, yeah, actually, Walt Disney was the one that started it, but with the Winnie the Pooh, it was three shorts. But they were so successful that to make more money on them, they pulled them together as a movie, all uh, just strung them together and re-released them as a movie together. Like, that that was them just trying to make money. Just like, oh, well, I guess these are doing well. Just string them together and they're now a movie. Kind of like the package deal, or the package films of the uh, 40s. Where it was like, well, you know what we could do? We could just take these little ideas and make them a movie together. You get three Caballeros, Saludos Amigos, um, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Mm. I love Ichabod and Mr. Toad. (laughs) I just wanted to say that. Uh, but another one, like, um, we've dis- we discussed it off mic, but Robin Hood is a great example of where they really just start declining in quality. And I know there's a lot of people, I'm sure, that are mad with me saying that because they love Robin Hood. I enjoy Robin Hood, too, but it's like they cut corners wherever they could in that movie. Like, one of the biggest ones, and, uh, you know, um, I know, well, I'll, I'll let Courtney mention it, <laughs> but... Like, uh, in the dance scene, uh, in the middle of the movie, you know, with, uh, Maid Marian and, uh, Robin Hood in their, like, love sequence or whatever, and everyone's partying in the forest, that was, all they did was they took the scene from, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs of Snow White dancing with the dwarfs, and they painted over those shots with the characters from Robin Hood. So it is a literal, they literally stole that scene and just painted over it, just to cut a corner, because it was a cheaper route to go. Copy and paste. Yeah, they did that, and like Facebook had a big thing where they showed all those. Like one of them was the Aristocats. They took the piano scene from I think it was Snow White when. Yes, that that yeah, is a good one, and that that's one the too. same period. Yeah, so you see it a lot during that small period, right? I there. know, like, I don't remember his name, but I saw. Uh, I think it's in Waking Sleeping Beauty where he discuss. Uh, one of the animators, one of the nine uh, old men, mentions that 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 was like a huge thing that was a big argument but it was a thing where they were like we need to make these movies cheaper and that was one of the ways that they did it but that was the thing is that the animators hated it because they were just like this is destroying art right but that's the thing is the company is slowly just doing whatever they can now the revenues start to go down though during this period um of course like uh well a little bit so october 1st 1971 walt disney world opens December 1971, Roy O. Disney passes away. And with Roy O. Disney passing away, you get a new management change again. And this is where you're going to get uh, Don Tatum, Card Walker, and Walt Disney's son-in-law, 
Diane Disney's husband, Ron Miller, becomes the, uh, the chairman. And, of course, the big deal of this is that these are all people that were trained by Walt and Roy. But because of them, like, you get into this downward spiral. Now, a lot of parts of these, like, of course, there's, like, a lot of discussion, um, especially online and in the podcast community, of, like, what uh, their real, what the real, like, negatives were. But the thing is that ultimately, when it came to revenue... They brought a down a downward spiral, and they set up a big event that actually, um, you know, goes into this period. Uh, I was just gonna really quick say, like, it's sad to think about that these three guys we were saying were trained and handpicked by Royo and Walt, but it just seems like what it really came down to is since they weren't actually those people, they didn't have that same touch as the two Disney's did, right? Yeah. Well, see, that's uh, that's where you get the problem, though, is that. In the 70s to 80s, the pro- one of the biggest issues is that uh, people in, ju- just people, uh, uh, or the audience in general, just doesn't like what Disney's putting out. Because they're putting out movies like, um, well, they are making like a success out of it, just because they're making money. They're commercially successful, but that's the thing is, like I said, the quality's going down, the crowds aren't coming back, they're, they're getting lower revenue from each one, so... You start getting this thing where the Disney company sees it and they, um, it's like one of those things too where you get people saying like, oh, well, it is that thing where people, when they see like that much success, uh, even, even though the quality is still there, that they don't want to see it. Because, uh, of course, that's like one of the things that they said about Bambi where it's like, well, it's not that it's a bad movie. It's just that, you know, I mean, all Disney movies are good. So why do we have to keep seeing them? <laughs> but, um, that... That was kind of like, uh, like there's a lot of debate on what the real issue was, but it's the whole thing that family friendly is not doing well, and Disney sees that. But the problem is, is that Disney as a company is not adult oriented. But they, during the like late 70s and 80s, they try to do this flip into it, and that's where you really get an issue because they're going into a territory they don't understand, and they are not doing well in. And that's where you get in 1979, because of the success of Star Wars in 1977, they make uh, their own uh, sci-fi film called The Black Hole, which I've never watched. I don't care to watch. I know some people are fans, but ultimately people did not enjoy this movie. It um, it ended up costing them $20 million, and it was the first uh, Disney film to carry a PG rating in the U.S. And, and then you get things like Tron. Like, Tron comes out in 1982, because they're still trying to jump onto this whole, you know, sci-fi aspect. But the thing is, is that people don't want to see it from Disney. Like, they don't like it. They don't like the story. I mean, I like Tron. Because, yeah, Tron's good. I I like (laughs) Tron. But, you know, that's the thing, is the crowds don't like it. Um, So the movies just are not doing well. And then you're going back into the animated films that are also not doing well. And that's, like, the bigger issue. Because this is where you get into... The Fox and the Hound, uh, The Great Mouse Detective, and probably this one's in the middle, but it's like the crowning one that people love to look at as like truly <laughs> one that really brought down the Disney animation, and it's The Black Cauldron, which comes out in 1985. Now, I know uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with The Black Cauldron, but The Black Cauldron, it's a uh, mythical film. It's based on these uh, books called The Chronicles of... Uh, Pride in by Lloyd Alexander. Now, the thing is, is that they're very dark and uh, very, very much not the Disney thing. And that's the thing, is that they made this film and they did not give any concern to the idea of family-friendly. And that's what people were thinking when they saw the Disney brand on it. So this movie really does not do well because, uh, and we mentioned it off mic, but it's like, one of the, and it's like still regarded as like one of the most like terrifying scenes is uh, the main villain. He's called the Horn King. He basically looks like the devil. Mm-hmm. And his death scene is just incredibly disturbing. Like, I watched it the other day and my daughter, who's three, did not like it. She was like, no, turn this off. Turn this <laughs> off, dad, dad. She was freaking out. But that's the thing is that you've got a company that doesn't understand what they're doing. 
a lot like DC with their with their current slate of films, just to bring it back to my normal hate. But that's the thing is you've got a crew that's like, hey, people don't want to see family friendly. Let's try to get into more adult oriented. But they don't understand what that is. So they're making films that just are not cutting it. And like we said off mic, I enjoy this movie. But it's very obvious that like what it seems like they did is like, they saw that nobody was enjoying the family stuff anymore, but they overcorrected when they tried to get a little darker and a little more adult-oriented. Like, you can't just go from this point where you're making, you know, these nice little tales about princesses and all that, and it's being like, oh, by the way, here's this guy, he looks like the devil. <laughs> and yeah, now we're going to have, like, this epic, dark, scary situation going on for it. So, I mean, um, I mean he is the devil. I mean, come on. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> He's truly <laughs> the terrifying. face of evil. <laughs> he's actually, um, he's actually voiced by, um, shoot, what's his name? Uh, John Hurt, who recently passed away, the uh, war doctor, if you mm-hmm. will. Uh, I do want to point out though, like, um, of course, this is all part of like a main topic of like the down, uh, the downward spiral of quality. But the thing is, is that, um, so when it comes to, when it comes to the uh, Black Cauldron. This is a movie that starts with Ron Miller, and then um, when it finally ends, this is with a new regime change, which we'll get into. But uh, one of the things that specifically I found interesting is that the Cauldron Born scene, which is uh, you know the ending when the Horn King dies, when they uh, when they showed the scene to uh, to people at the lot who were allowed to bring like their children and stuff. The children were so scared of the scene, they were fleeing the theater. So, and that's why I find it interesting, because like I said, this is a terrifying scene, but Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is now the head of uh, Disney Animation, he actually made them redo the scene, because he saw it and was just like, this is not good. He's like, this is awful, what you just showed us. You can't be having little kids fleeing (laughs) from the movie. I'm sorry, how is that a Disney movie, you know? That's the thing is, like, if you brought this up to people and they had never heard it or seen it before and you showed them, they, there's a good chance that they would have a hard time believing that Disney would, uh, the Disney company would authorize this. Like, how is that? Yes, that's good for the kids, you know? It, it truly it's good old family but, fun. <laughs> so, like, um, one, of, one of the biggest issues in this, like, time period, especially with the Ron Miller uh, regime, is uh, their main focus was to truly build Epcot. And um, that's that's the thing that I really wanted to mention. So Epcot is like a huge issue because it just keeps making it just keeps costing more and more money. And the problem is is that during this time the movies aren't doing well. Like the profits are going down. So Disney, in an effort to like make whatever money they can uh, to get uh, Epcot going, you know, one of the things is like, uh, as we all know, every ride that they had was sponsored by something, and that's because they needed the money. Uh, one of one of the interesting things in this period with Epcot is you actually get Tokyo Disneyland because Oriental Land Company in Japan wanted a Disneyland of their own, and the Disney company uh, agreed to do it because they needed the money for Epcot. But to them, they were just like, oh, I mean, no one's going to care about Tokyo Disneyland. I only mention that because Tokyo Disneyland ultimately is like widely considered one of the greatest Disney parks. So it's funny that, um, you know, they were just trying to get Epcot going, but uh, Tokyo Disneyland actually is the one that helped uh, get Epcot going because it offered money to the Disney company in their time of need. Now, of course, uh, the other part of this is, uh, and that's what I was getting at, is Epcot ends up opening October 1st, 1982, and... At the end of the day, Epcot ended up um, costing, I believe it was like almost a billion dollars. And when it opens, people do not like it. Because, and, and that's the thing, is with the Ron Miller regime, that seems to be like the running theme. Is that they were ahead of their time on everything. So people did not like what they were doing. He, he, had, the true, he had the belief that, you know, people would understand it later. But Epcot opens and people just don't like it. And it ends up being a pretty big, like, flop for them. And at this point, the Disney company is barely surviving off of the parks. The parks, uh, like, from a lot of accounts, I guess, were uh, 70% of what the company's profits were. Which is an insane amount. 
like think of it nowadays like the parks are true uh i think it's like i want to say it's like 40 percent or so of the profits but it's like that thing where it's like but that's not their main concern mm -hmm. so because epcot is such a big failure and i know like some people might be listening and they're like but i love epcot i love epcot but the thing i love i especially love original epcot even though i never got to see it i love original epcot but the thing is is that Ultimately, that's the thing is that this sets up one of the biggest things in like Disney history um, It sets up the hostile takeover attempt because Disney is down because Epcot is a failure The movies aren't making money They're barely scraping by and in comes Saul Steinberg with his Reliance Group Holdings company and they try to take a hostile takeover of the company now, with that, he ends up buying stock, just a lot of it. And he ends up um, buying 11% of the uh, company. So he has a huge stake of the company. And he's already starting to farm out to people that he's going to be selling the company bit by bit. At the same time, you've got Roy uh, E. Disney, Roy O. Disney's son, who's doing the uh, Save Disney campaign at the same time. You might recognize the Save Disney campaign because he does it a few times. But, uh, <laughs> that's like a whole nother thing too. But, uh, <laughs> so Roy, Roy E. Disney at the time, him and his partner, because he had left Disney as a chairman because he was so upset with uh, Epcot and all that, he actually tries to purchase the film rights from uh, Saul uh, Steinberg. Saul Steinberg ends up wanting too much, so he can't afford it. But uh, because of that, you know, Disney sees that this is a serious issue because that, like, the Disney company in general never really understood stocks. Like, they never cared for it. I mean, that that's like a whole nother... I, I've been saying it so much, but a whole nother subject is like, for instance, Walt Disney himself never talked to the shareholders because, um, and you can read it in, like, any biography about him. Anytime Roy asked him to talk to the uh, shareholders... He always said, what do I care of them? They're not, they're not real people. <laughs> like, that was his attitude about shareholders. He's like, these are just people that want to make money off of me. Mm -hmm. He's like, the people I care about are the people going to my park, the people watching my movies. But because Disney doesn't understand stocks, the whole thing is that they're, they're about to get taken over, and they're, they're freaking out. So they finally, in a last-ditch effort, they talk to Saul Steinberg, and they're like, what can we do to stop this? And Saul Steinberg says, well, you can buy me out for $45 million, which is a huge amount of money. And of course, Disney is up against the wall in a corner and they can do nothing but accept it. So they end up accepting the $45 million deal. And uh, they, also, they also get a uh, shareholder lawsuit put on them because when they bought the stocks, uh, the shareholders get mad because their stocks get de-evaluated because of it. So they're just paying money hand over fist. And that's why uh, after that, you get Sid, the Sid Bass family, who currently are still on the board. They come in and they save Disney. They're part of the Save Disney campaign. Uh, Roy Disney brings them in. So Sid Bass comes in, he purchases 18% of uh, the Disney stock and takes over. But the thing is, is that his main thing is to remove what he sees as the cancerous, um, you know, regime. So he removes Card Walker, Don Tatum, and Ron Miller. And he replaces them with Jeffrey Katzenberg, who now takes over the uh, animated film division. You get the CFO is Frank Wells, and as CEO, you get Michael Eisner. I know I, I was, like, super talkative on that, but, like, the, I find it very interesting that this is, like, just a complete, like, they were just completely heading towards this, just a, just a real bottom. This is a scary thought because, you know, I love Disney and there's stuff I don't know. This is one of the things I didn't know is that they were that close to having stuff stripped away from them because, you know, everything was going downhill for them. I didn't know that, that they were inches from, you know, being kicked out the door. That, yeah, that, it's a scary thing because... Like I said, they didn't understand anything they were doing, and that's the that's the real issue. And I know there's a lot of discussion online of if Walt Disney would even 
have been able to fight against stuff like that. But it's like, it's that thing. It's like, it's harder to believe that Walt Disney, because of who he was, that anything like this could have happened to him. Because people, like, people revered him. Even, um, like I mentioned earlier, with Bambi. Bambi was a huge failure. And then when he needed more money from the banks, uh, which, um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of them as a bank, but he went to Bank of America and they needed more money. And uh, the the people on the board were like, no, they're like, you guys are like, you know, in the red. They're like, why would we give you more money? And um, I forget his name, but the guy who ran Bank of America, who founded it, he asked them, he's like, have you guys seen a Disney movie? And they're like, no. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, I'm going to allow this because he said with uh, Walt Disney's movies, he's like, even if they're not making money, he liked the, he liked what he was seeing. And he's like, that's, and he believed in them. Actually, he's also the person that helped fund Disneyland because he believed in Walt Disney. That's why I can't help but be like, Walt Disney, this would have never happened. You would have never seen this. I think also because he so truly believed in like his style he would have never done, uh, and that's another big issue, is in the middle, you get that fact that they're not doing well in the movie business, so they start being like, well, let's just be like everyone else, forgetting that the reason why they're Disney is because they are Disney. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, we, we've we seen it in our own timeline, where you get, uh, and we're ultimately discussing the Disney renaissance, but we got to see ourselves after the renaissance, you know, you get to see them just slowly start to go back into that same thing where they go into this lull of movies that are just like, they're good, but it's like, whatever. And, you know, they start faltering and they're like, oh, well, uh, and then you get the renaissance, or well, I I don't know what they're really calling it now, but you get the new um, golden age that they have right now, starting with, of course, Tangled, because, you know, it was the same thing. They just start going in a lull and they come right back up because... People forgot. They're like, oh, yeah, these are great movies. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh. I, I forgot about that secondary lapse where we had stuff like Brother Bear, which I yeah. enjoyed, but, the two th- Yeah, the 2000s are filled with just movies that just aren't as good. And it's just the same the same kind of thing. You've got things like Brother Bear, Hunchback of Notre Dame, it don't uh, that movie. Chicken Little, uh, Meet the yeah. Robinsons. Home on, uh, was it, uh, Open, or no, Home on the Range. Yeah, Home on the Range. range. Yeah, like, you just got all these movies that are just like, ugh, like, no. That's what what we're saying, is that, like, you know, we had some good movies in them, but. That one was 96. It's it's overshadowed by the fact that they were, like, doing this weird wave thing. Yeah, yeah, that's just how it is. I'm pretty sure that Hunchback is, like, 98. I think it's 96, because it came out the year I was born. You wouldn't know, then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would, because that came up on my little history thing. It was like, oh, in the year you were born, these movies came out. No, but, like, for us, like, we're going to end there, and we'll get into the second half of the story. But um, there, I is, there is light, yeah. okay? Yeah, there is, <laughs> exactly. a, there is a light. But um, the reason why is because, like, uh, I, I wanted to end there because, um, like we were saying, like, you've got all these things, like, pushing them down. And you get, you see the light. And, you know, it is Michael Eisner coming in because at... Even with people, like, not liking or not seeing Michael Eisner as, like, a good thing now, because we remember, like, the Michael Eisner of the 2000s. But uh, the thing is, is that in this period, like, when he comes in, this is actually a great period for him. Like, he's the reason why a lot of things, it's kind of arguable, but he's a, a lot of the reason why the Disney renaissance happens. But I will warn you, too, there is still more bad stuff to come, because... When he comes in, one of the biggest things is he doesn't really believe in the uh, Disney animated films. And, and that's like a, a huge thing, but that was the thing is he saw the same thing. He's looking at what they were making and it's just like your output is not good. Like It's probably better that he came in like that too where he had the outside perspective where he's like, listen guys, these are going down in, in you know quality. Yeah, but um, ultimately, I like I said, I wanted to end right here because it's like, it's that thing, you see Michael Eisner come in and it's just like, oh yeah, this is where everything starts to go well. Mm-hmm. Because it is. That's when the Renaissance starts. But the thing is, is that for the Renaissance to happen, you have to have the Dark Ages. Yeah. And that's ultimately what all of that was. It was just a slow descent into just darkness. With the most scary thoughts, you know, almost becoming 
real. Yeah. <laughs> a Disney company just uh, stripped not functioning. Yeah, just uh, not functioning, just uh, stripped and taken apart. But like like we said, there is the light at the end of the tunnel, and it is uh, it is the new regime yeah. and Sid Bass. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we want to thank you guys for listening. We hope you guys enjoy like this new kind. So I know I've discussed it a little while ago, but like we have like a new kind of structure thing that we're doing. We're going to have like features more like this, like more the history bend and stuff. Um, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, let me know anything uh, you feel about it. You can, of course, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Geo Disney or Geo Comedy. I'll answer you there too. I don't mind. Uh, you can also email us at geodisney113 at gmail.com uh, you can hit Hunter up online yeah you can find me on Instagram uh, the Disney guy 24 or on Twitter Hunter3GATM you can follow me Instagram J182 and also you could also like like Josh said write a comment of what movies you wanna, want us to uh, to do some history cause like we love doing this this is like so fun doing this yeah, I mean, like like Hunter said, there there's a lot of things that like a lot of people don't realize. I know, even for me, like a lot of people make fun of me for my like Disney obsession. But like when I talk about stuff like this, people all the time are like, I didn't even know about stuff like that. And it's just like, well, there's a whole there's there is a backstory to everything. Right. You can get Courtney on the web. I'm on Instagram under Court Giordano. In case you know how to spell Giordano. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, make sure to go on to iTunes and rate us. Write a review if you can. Hopefully, hopefully good. But uh, um, yeah, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can uh, follow us on Spreaker. Uh, once again, I do want to mention, I've been checking like our subscribers. And I'm actually very surprised. Like We're gaining subscribers like very well. Like. Uh, I, which I really hope you guys are enjoying it. I can see that you're listening. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, obviously pretty well. Yeah. Well, we can see that they're telling their friends. <laughs> I mean, and that's you awesome. Know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know even some of my friends listen, even if they're not Disney uh, per se. They they do enjoy uh, hearing right. our stuff. But, uh, you know, thank you again. Um, thank you, Dave. Uh, thanks, Nathan. Uh, I did. I do want to say I saw Nathan's comment um, on our last episode, and I thought it was funny because it was like uh, particularly something we mentioned, <laughs> which I, I thought was funny. But um, thank you guys, seriously. Uh, so we'll see you guys later. Later. Adios. Bye. Cut out.